Hallelujah. Bless God. Would you get your Bibles and go with me to the book of First Samuel? I'm going to read three portions of scripture, uh, scripture very quickly, and then we will expound, do a little bit of exegesis, maybe touching some homiletics, and but for sure, ask God to anoint His Word. Hallelujah, or anoint me. His Word is already anointed. Thank you, Jesus. First Samuel chapter 17, I'm going to read from verses 26 through 33. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine or Philistine? And takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should, what? Defy the armies of the living God. 27. And the people answered him in, in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him towards another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail, wow, because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Just in passing, before we go on to the next scripture, I want you to underline two things, 29, end of 29, when it says, is there not a cause? And that happens to be where uh, our topic will be pulled from. Is there not a cause? And then if you can go down to verse 33, and underline Saul's reply to David. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. And here is Saul's reason, which is what I would like you to underline. For you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Uh, that does not, I'll tell you why that, that jumps out to me in a moment. Let's move to Luke chapter 29 and verse 23. I'm going to read that from the uh, New Living Translation. 
Then he said to the crowd, if any of you want to be my followers, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. Turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. And then we'll go over to Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison, that is. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Father, I thank you because your word is true and pure. It is unadulterated and infallible. And all I can do is submit to it. All we can do is submit to it. God, take my feeble lips and use them for your glory and to speak your truth into the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I, when I read, especially when I read the word of God, I slow down. I would spend days on just one or two verses because what I found happening is I would read a verse today and one part of it jumps out and speaks to me. And then I go back to the same verse tomorrow or two days later and something absolutely different comes forward. That God uses the same passage, the same two or three verses to speak something different to my spirit every time. That's just how God works. His word is unlike any other book. It is unique, just like God himself, and it has no comparison. It is unique, just like God himself, and has no comparison. There's a glaring increase of tolerance and even acceptance of satanic behavior and sinful activity by Christians that is aggressively spreading throughout America and the rest of the world. This is a, a time when the body of Jesus Christ has a mandate to become more powerful through prayer and fasting, more spiritually aggressive in pulling down Satan's strongholds, and more resolute about our faith and the promises of the mighty Word of God. Yes, we have seen a weakening of faith, a fear of confronting blatant sin under the guise of not becoming too judgmental, and attacks of being prideful or being ill-mannered. We have backed away and backed down and soft soap and taken an average distant seat from the forefront of proclaiming the gospel because we don't want to irritate. But there is now a new growing remnant of Holy Spirit filled Christ followers that are standing to say loud and clear, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause 
Is there not a reason to ask? When David said to his brother Eliab, is there not a cause? Without digging into the background, you would tend to believe that he's saying, is there not a cause for the fight? Or is there not a cause for, for me to be here to see the battle? But the theological construct is that he is saying to his brother, when Eliab challenges him about being there, just by saying, is there not a cause? He's asking him several things. Is there not a reason for me to ask? What is he asking? Is there not a reason for the questioning? What is he questioning? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares to bring reproach to the God of Israel? If David was standing today, if he was here at the podium, I believe that he would say, who are these uncircumcised voices of immorality around us and sinfulness? And what shall we do about it? He asks that of his brothers or his brother and the men standing around him. Why are we, what is going on that I have come here, not of my own volition, but on assignment from my father? I wouldn't leave the sheep if dad didn't send me. Is there not a cause I was sent? Is there not a cause for me to be here? Because I, now that I'm here, want to know why you have allowed this uncircumcised Philistine to stand here for 40 days and belittle the God that brought you out. Is there not a cause? I like to analyze because I don't get a full picture unless I analyze everything. So my first bit of analytics, breaking it down for me, started with looking at who Goliath is and why is Saul the king sitting back, waiting for a champion from Israel to stand up when he is the champion of Israel. Let me get some facts for you that you, I think you will, you will really appreciate because this helps you to see clearly what is going on here. Goliath's stature, as described in various ancient manuscripts, varies. The oldest manuscripts, the Dead Sea Scrolls, text of Samuel, the first century historian, Josephus, and the fourth century Subduidian manuscript, all give his height, Goliath's height, as four cubits and a span. That's almost seven feet. But when 
that information was translated to the Masoretic translation that we read. Somebody looked at it, it's highly possible, and instead of looking at four and call, saying four, they called it six cubits instead of four cubits. And that could have easily happened. We are not sure about the exact height, but we are sure that Goliath's height was somewhere between almost seven feet and a little over nine feet. We're sure about that. Here's the problem. If we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 9, I want you to hear something that will blow your mind. It says in chapter 9, verses 1, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeroth, the son of Becheroth, the son of Athiot, a Benjaminite, a mighty man of power. He had the choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people in all of Israel. When we dig in to the historic measurements, we find out that Saul himself, being the tallest man of Israelite descent, was over six feet also. Way over six feet. So we have Goliath, who may be about six, nine, all the way to nine plus, who would be in a fair fight against a skilled six, five, seven footer in the way of Saul. It would be an almost even match if Saul was a little shorter but had more skill against Goliath who was a little taller and more cumbersome. It was an even match. Skill with size against size, more size, and maybe a little less skill. The question for me is, why was Saul so fearful? I told you, I like to dig. I love to dig. I went back and looked at First Samuel 17, verse 9. And I saw something there. It says, and this is David. If he's able to fight, uh, this is a Goliath, sorry, challenging. He's calling on them to send out their champion. I want you to follow me. We're going to get into the, the, the flow of preaching in a little bit. But you got to get this. Because somebody else is going to talk to you about this, and you have to have premise. You have to have context. Goliath is saying, if he's able, he's challenging now, send your fighter out in verse 9 of chapter 17. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. 
And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that me, that we may fight together. And here is the catcher. When Saul, when Saul and all the armies of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. If the guy who is supposed to be the guy and lead the other guys is fearful and refuse to put his armor on and meet the challenge, who do you think is going to do it? That's why Goliath was coming for 40 days every day. Send me out a swine that I may kill him or a pig or calling them all kinds of names. Because their champion was supposed to be Saul. And Saul is fearful. You know why he's fearful? You need to go back a few chapters and find out that this, oh, this is for somebody. This is not every time, but quite often, disobedience to the word of God that you know creates fear for actions that you don't know. Oh, somebody needs to write that. Write it down. Write it down, because you're going to need it disobedience of God's word that you know quite often will create fear in the situation that you don't know. Because the word of God was given so that we could stand strong without fear knowing that our God is able to deliver us. And when you are disobedient and rejective of God's word, you have nothing to stand on but fear. Before we even get to this story, God has spoken to Saul twice. And you can read back. God tell him specifically, don't do this. And he says, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yeah. Uh, okay, okay. But when push comes to shove, what was already in his heart came out. His lips were saying, yes, Lord. But even while he was saying, yes, Lord, he had already decided that if push comes to shove, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's why the word of God says, Man looks on the outside. That's why I am not quick to judge. Because I only see the outside. But let me tell you, when the God that sees the inside and the outside pronounces judgment, it is, re say that again, Ma, it is real judgment. Point number one, don't let fear mongers shake you. Don't let fear mongers shake you from your purpose. David came upon a scene here where everyone is in fear because the guy who shouldn't be fearful is fearful. And the guy who is fearful that shouldn't be fearful is at odds with God. And because there's no repentance, he's brought that fear into the entire camp. I am so glad that David 
was on the backside of the desert looking after the few sheep. When his brother Eliab talks about it, you would think it's a bad thing. What are you doing here with your pridefulness and your insolence? Now he's reflecting what is him onto his younger brother. He's the one that's prideful. If he wasn't prideful, he would stand near his brother and said, you're sure right, little brother. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You know what? Thank you. I need to have a backbone and trust God. But he didn't do that. Why? Because his pride was all up in there. And he says to his brother, why are you here? Why aren't you back home looking after those few sheep we got? You would think that was something bad. But every time God's hand is on your life guiding you, what people think is bad will always work for the good. His brother saw him on the backside looking at a few sheep, but God saw him as being out of the place where he could hear the negative and be infected in his spirit like the whole army of Saul. The truth is, if he was there for all of this time, hanging out with all of the other soldiers, Seeing his, his, his hero, Saul, who was, it says, head and shoulders above every other person in Israel. Being afraid, it would have stirred or could have stirred fear in David's heart too. But God kept him out of the fear mongering. I'm here this morning to tell you first and foremost, there are people, there are people right now, on your job, in your family, around you, that are fear mongers. Here, here's how the fear comes across. You don't have to challenge them when they say something about God. You know where you stand. Really? I was shopping in Lytle's the other day. And uh, two young ladies came in to shop. They were holding each other's hand, had on jeans, matching jeans, and had on T-shirts matching each other. Pink T-shirts with white writing on it. And it said, you can't tell us who to love. We know this is right. That's what, the, that's what their shirt said on it. You don't tell us who to love. We know this is right. There was nobody in Lytle's. I stood back and everyone was looking at their own stuff. They did not feel intimidated. No one felt kind of queasy about them. Everyone was going along with their own vices. But if you, as a believer, goes into Lytle's, you and your spouse, wearing your jeans, and you had on a pink shirt that said homosexuality and lesbianism is wrong. There are places in the country right now, stores in the country, that the management will come to you and escort you out of their grocery store. Is there not a cause? 
is there not a cause? We have stood back in fear because somebody says you are intolerant. When the reality is that they are the most intolerant people you could find around. I am challenging you this morning. Do not fear. Do not let fear mongers shake you. Number two. Do not let family ridicule stop you. There's somebody in this service that has stayed away from talking to your family about their need for God. That you said it once or twice and they said, I don't want to hear about it anymore. And you have continued to let them come to your home and whenever they come, you turn down your Christian music. Whenever they come, you don't play Christian TV. Whenever they come over to visit, you move your Bible over somewhere because you don't want to appear intolerant. Can I tell you this morning, that that is not what God wants. Can I tell you this morning that God's word says the kingdom of God suffered violence and the violence taken by force? It's not physical fighting that it means. It means that your spirit is so aggressive with the word of God inside that you speak against the wiles of the adversary. You pray against the plans of Satan and you bombard heaven day and night saying, God. It is. Is there not a cause. Is there not a cause? Number one, and we've got it on tape too so you can get a copy. Bless God. Don't let fear mongers shake you because that's what they tried to do with David. Don't let family especially unsaved ones. The one that irritates me is when you have family, Marty, that call himself a Christian. In many Christian homes, it's the folk that call themselves Christians always telling you, well, you don't have to be that public with your faith. You don't have to be that open with your, with your, with your, your, your Christianity. When all over the word of God, we were trained from babies, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. How could we sing that song, Ma, Mama Apecourage, and then cover our light? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And when somebody asks you for prayer in a public place, you tell them, I'll pray for you. And you walk away because you don't want to stop and pray for them in the middle of Walmart. I said before, once I started asking God a while back, I stopped giving the examples because they come all the time. The latest one, I believe, was being in Walmart and walking in. As I walked in, I said, Lord, I'm not perfect. You know I'm not. But today, I'm walking into Walmart again, and I am your vessel. I walked in, did my shopping, and I was coming out. There was a lady coming in with her daughter. I didn't know it was her daughter, just a younger and an older woman. And I saw her, and I knew that I knew this person. 
I walked up to her and said, hey, how are you? God bless you. And I hugged her and the lady just stood there because I was hugging the wrong person. She'd never met me. But I noticed that she was poorly, looked a little down in her body. She had two bandages on her arm and a wrap as if she had been taking some kind of medicine or some injection. And I said, because I'm on assignment. I'm on assignment, guys. I'm on assignment. Life can change on a dime. Life can change on a dime. Today, you're walking around. You can pray for someone. Tomorrow, you're lying in bed and somebody needs to pray for you because you can't even talk on the phone. And I said, your body doesn't seem to be looking right. You don't feel good. And her daughter says, no. Thank God we just got word from my half-sister that they're a match. She's going in next week for them to put new kidneys in. They're going to take a kidney from my half-sister. And I'm just bringing her to Walmart. And I said, well, you know, prayer does a lot of good. Prayer changes things and changes people too. Would you like me to pray? Right in between the two sliding doors. We've got the big old thing here where you put plastic bags in, in the middle. And I said, move out of the way, come over here. She said, yeah. And I started praying. Not loud. Oh Lord, here are your children. She needs healing. Come down like fire in Walmart. I said I was bold, not stupid. And I just quietly started to pray. I said, Lord, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity, Lord. This is an opportunity for you to sweep through this whole family. This is an opportunity for you to touch generations, Holy Spirit. I don't know what your plan is. I, 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 I'm here to accept your will, but, but I am also here to intercede on behalf of this, your child. And in the name of Jesus, as I hold her hand, I'm asking that your healing power will flow through her body and bring her back to good health, oh God, and heal her. And as I prayed, it was just my voice at first. Then I heard one other voice praying with me. Then before too long, I heard another voice praying with me. By the time we were done praying and I opened my eyes, there were seven other people standing at the Walmart door on Irby Street. Four blacks and three whites that I've never met praying with us. What would happen if I had retreated in fear that I don't want people see me practicing my religion in the open? I've been close friends with Muslims Still am. They respect me. I respect them. I don't dishonor what they're doing. But they know where I stand. And whether they're at work, DJ, it doesn't matter where they are. They have their mat with them. Brother Scott, they will roll out a mat in the middle of Walmart and pray. God is looking for the people who will stand without being fearful. Is there not a cause? God is looking for those who will not be shaken by the ridicule of family.
Is there not a cause? Number three, don't let the size of the circumstance overshadow the strength of your weapon. Don't let the size of the circumstance overshadow the, the what? The strength of your weapon. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not physical, Jordan. They are spiritual. They're supernatural. And they are good for the tearing down of the adversary's stronghold. Everybody else who's looking at Goliath. If the king who's taller than all of us is fearful of Goliath, then I guess we need to be fearful too. If my, my, my pastor or my, my this person who's supposed to be more spiritual than me doesn't stop and pray for somebody, well, I don't guess I need to. That's not what happened here, guys. Saul says, you know what? The reason I told you to put a mark on the 1733 at the bottom there was because of how I see Saul describing the Philistine. Everybody else is looking at this guy as a giant. Am I not right, Brother Scott? Everyone else is looking at his size and being fearful. Jordan, tell me what Saul says. Read 33. You are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight. You are only a young man. And he is a giant. Say it again. No, no, no. And he is taller and stronger than everyone else. Read it again. Doesn't it make sense, guys, that if his height and weight and strength was at the top of Saul's concerns, that that's what he would say? To David, do you hear him talk? Do you hear him saying anything about the Philistine's strength? Do you hear him saying anything about the Philistine's height? Do you hear him saying anything about the Philistine's sword or his spear? You know why? Because he knew he was physical match for that giant. He knew he saw was physical match for the giant. He didn't look at Goliath as a giant much bigger than him. He looked at Goliath as just a fellow warrior. And still, he was marred by fear. Lord, help us this morning. Help us this morning. Don't let the size of the circumstance overshadow the strength of your weaponry. David says, you come against me with sword and shield, but I come against you with what? In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. I'm not even coming against you with my sling. I'm not even coming against you because I, I, I could hit something from a mile away and I've been training all my life. That is not the first thing he says. He says, I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord. Who, who, who empowers my equipment. It's not about what you have in your hand this morning. It's about the God in your heart. 
It is not about what you have in your hand this morning. It is about the God in your heart. He that calleth on the name of the Lord shall be what? Shall be saved. I'm going to close out with what Ephesians 6, 13 through 17 says. Finally, be strong. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might or in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the evil schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when the fear monger tries to make you fearful, when the family ridicule tries to make you bashful, when the situation is saying to you in your natural mind, I don't know if God can handle this, then the spirit of God rises up in you. <sighs> And creates a standard that says no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. No weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. Whether I live or I die, God is God alone. God is God alone. Stand firm then. With the belt of truth and the buckle of righteousness, buckled around your waist, sorry, and the blessed plate of righteousness, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take on the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flames and arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Is there not a cause? Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. I thank you because we know that there is a cause. We know, we believe and accept that there is a great reason to stand. We need not be fearful. We, we, we need not be bashful. We just need to trust you. We just need to trust, trust you. Father, I stir strength and trust in the hearts of every person here, God. I stir up strength and trust. I stir up strength and trust this morning. Any issue, any situation that the adversary has been trying to use to make you fearful, trying to use to make you discredit the word of God, trying to use family members or spouse or husband or wife, trying to lower God's standard in you, I stir it up again in the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me? Oh, Lord, we thank you this morning. Hallelujah. Would you just put that right hand up with me and just, just thank God this morning as we close. Would you tell him, I believe in your cause. I believe in your cause, Lord. 
Give me strength to stand in my cause. Give me strength to stand for your cause. Give me strength to stand for your cause, God. That I may be counted worthy. At the end that I may say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. God has laid up for me a crown of righteousness. How many of you believe this morning that you are fighting for a crown that is uncomparable? I said God to God early this morning, Lord, I thank you for my cross. I don't want anybody else's cross. Oh, I thank you for the cross that I'm carrying. I thank you. Would you just thank God? I know there are no services where the pastor tells you to thank God for the cross you got. But I'm telling you this morning, you don't want someone else's cross. Go ahead and take a moment and thank God for the cross you got. Lord, I thank you for not giving me more than I can bear. For not giving us more than we can bear. We thank you for the cross that you've given us. We won't trade it in. If you give us more grace, hallelujah, we won't trade it in. If you give us more grace, because we know your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Father, I sow this word into you, the hearts of your people. As we leave this place, I'm asking God that you will let the word of god burn within us let it burn within us that we will be driving our cars and burst out into praise and say is there not a cause i'm a christian is there not a cause i believe in god's word is there not a cause i will not be ashamed of the gospel Watch over us today. Keep us. Protect us. Bring us back safely on Wednesday, oh Father, for awesome Bible study time. Father, take glory and honor. Bring us back, oh Father, this weekend for the Ignite Night. Give each one of us strength to be servers and doers for the kingdom. We give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. God bless you.